So I think back in the early 90s, maybe late 80s, it was probably early to mid 90s, there was a book that came out on uh, relationships. Most people thought it was just a marriage book, but it was really a book on relationships, and it became very quickly a New York Times bestseller. So I'm guessing a bunch of you, by show of hands, are either familiar with this book or have read it. It's called The Five Love Languages. If you've read it or are familiar with it, put your hand up. Yeah, I figured most of you were. If not, um, it's a great book. Uh, it doesn't cover everything holistically about love and relationships, but it does about as good as any other man-made book can. I, I like it. Uh, basically, the whole premise is uh, by this author is that there are five universal love languages that humans speak, right? They are what? Words of affirmation. Who doesn't need a good word every now? Who doesn't want to hear something encouraging and nice about themselves, right? Words of affirmation, acts of service, uh, receiving gifts, quality time, and then the last one, physical touch. Now, the premise of this book, and I, I've, I've been married now for, uh, I'm going on year 20, and I think, I, right, I think it's time to write another book called The Other Five. <laughs> I've thought about this for a long time, and if I was writing the book, The Other Five, here's what I would have. I would have this uh, time alone, trash talking, Man, I love a good trash talk. If you don't love trash talking, you probably won't love me because that's how I give and show love. I love getting in some good trash talking. Uh, chapter three would just be titled Ice Cream. Don't need to say anything about that. Uh, for me, chapter four would be called Guilt-Free Golf. Uh, any amens in the room? Okay, okay. And then chapter five, I'd circle back around and it would also be titled Ice Cream. I love it. The other five. But the, the whole premise of this book is that of those five love languages, and go ahead, would you guys, if you don't mind, would you put those back up so people can look at them? Because some people, uh, this might be new to, and you haven't really fully thought about this, but it's important to know yourselves. The whole premise the author was going for when he wrote this book was that you have a dominant love language that most blesses your heart based on your wiring, based on your personality. We're all different. So one of those should be your dominant love language. Like for me, for instance, my dominant love language is is acts of service. I just feel the most loved, uh, not when I'm getting words, although I need, we all need words. Uh, giving gifts, receiving gifts is cool, but it's not how I feel most loved. Quality time, you heard one of my chapters, time alone. Uh, physical touch is probably, I'm just kind of grew up in a stoic German family, so physical touch is about as far down the list of what I need to feel loved possible. I'm a handshake guy. I'm learning to be a hugger. Um, and then my secondary, the premise is you also will have a secondary gift. In other words, there are some days where you feel like, well, actually, I think that's mine. So you guys, you guys kind of know what yours is yet. My secondary uh, love language would be words of affirmation. Man, when people just speak words of encouragement to me, I just feel so seen and I feel so known and I feel so loved. Now, along with the premise, there's a universal mistake that the author says that we make. And I could not agree more as time goes on in my life and I learn about interpersonal relationships. The big mistake is this. We tend to, not because we're bad, but we tend to give to the people in our lives we're trying to show love to. We tend to instinctually and naturally give them the gift that we most get blessed by. Not finding out which one most blesses them and which one they most need, but the one that we most. So it's, it's easy for me. It's instinctual and effortless for me when I want to show someone love to think of a way that I can serve them practically, right? 
and me and my wife, we, we read this book, I think, before we even got married or right around the time we were married. And it's taken us over a decade to figure this out about each other. My wife's love language, uh, number one, is uh, 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 physical touch. Remember which one I said is the lowest on my list? So we've been in some therapy for 20 years. It's good. And then her other one would be quality time. By far, those are two of the more that are down on my list. So we have to be very aware. I have to be very cognizant of that fact because my instinct is for acts of service. There were so many times I can remember in the first, especially decade of our marriage where something would happen. My wife would go away like on a girl's weekend or she would have to go see her family. And because of work, I couldn't go with her on that trip. And I remember I would just get so excited when she was about to come home because I, I missed my wife. And so my instinct was... I'm deep clean in our house. You and you left this baby was a mess and most of it was my fault. When you get home, I am going to smell of blood, sweat, tears, and Clorox. This house is going to be clean swept. It is going to be pristine because I want you after a trip, you know, traveling, even good trips, they wear you out, right? Traveling just wears you. So when you come home, I want you to walk into a sanctuary of cleanliness and peace to show you how much I love you. And there were so many, I will never forget this. The first time I did this, my wife walks in the house and like a little creeper, I'm just following her everywhere. And I've got this like wide-eyed look on my face and I'm just following her and I'm waiting for her to go into the kitchen and just see all the clean tile and everything and the, the mopped floors. And then I, I follow her into the bedroom where the bed's made and I put up the, like a, like a dock work. I put up the 58 pillows that she's bought that I'm not allowed to use or sleep on any of them. You know what I'm talking about? I've got them perfectly placed. I've got the closet in order and I'm so pumped and I'm just following her around and she just keeps saying nothing. Nothing. And finally, what went as a nice act of service was about to turn into a, a blowout fight because at some point I'm like, how do you not say a word and notice how clean this house is? And she looks back at me and goes, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, babe. I didn't think much of it because I do that stuff every day. And I'm just sitting there boiling, right? And I'm just going crazy. And what I did not realize is physical touch, quality time. I could have saved the eight hours of deep cleaning that I did on a Saturday. And if I would have cuddled with her and watched a movie when she got home. And we know wives, we know moms of little kids. You, you watch five minutes of the movie that you're excited to watch and then you're asleep. And I could have watched whatever show I wanted. So really all I needed to do was 10 minutes of cuddle time. And five minutes of whatever horrible movie she picked for us to watch. And then she's asleep. It would have been 15 minutes and she would have felt way more loved and cherished than the eight hours I spent cleaning the house. You guys understand the big mistake we make in these acts of love? So I, I'm, I'm not just saying that to talk about a marriage book today. I'm trying to set us up for the text today. As we get into Luke chapter five, there's only two characters that are involved in this story. Of course, Jesus is always one of them. He's the star of the story, right? So there's Jesus. Now, what I want you to understand today is Jesus is the perfect embodiment of all of the universal love languages. He is the only human who ever has and will be able to completely, perfectly act out all of these five love languages flawlessly at the perfect time in the perfect way with the perfect person because he knows everything about everyone. So we got the full embodiment of love in this story and then we have this. Today we have a leper. Now here, here's what the leper represented lies. Someone completely and totally marginalized. Someone ostracized. 
the leper was segregated his or her whole life. The leper was quarantined. Do you guys remember? We now know we're starting to get some more uh, true data on the mental health decline that took place in 2020 because of a global quarantine. It's almost as if the universe was saying, yeah, we need to do this to put a stop to what's happening. But the humanity was not designed to live in quarantine. You understand that? And so we saw rates of suicide go up. We saw rates of anxiety go up. People are still feeling the effects of anxiety and depression and other mental health issues because of a quarantine that's now three years old. Now imagine being bound to quarantine for your whole life because this is what lepers did. According to the Mosaic law, they had to be banned to the outskirts of society. That's why I said he's marginalized, right? They had to wear purposefully ripped clothing, not the kind I buy at the store because they told you it's in fashion. It's like you had to have ripped clothes. You had to keep, I'm not kidding. You can read this in Leviticus 13 and 14. You had to keep your hair unkept. And then every time somebody got close to being in, in your little circle of people that have this disease, you have to start screaming out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Like, could you imagine that? And so all of a sudden, Jesus, like only Jesus can do, he walks where the marginalized are, where the segregated are, where the ostracized are. Jesus isn't having quarantine. He came to, 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 to deal with that type of loneliness, with that type of isolation. So Jesus walks up to this leper, and here's what happens. Luke writes this. He says, well, Jesus was in one of the towns. A man came along who was covered with leprosy, right? This skin disease. When he saw Jesus, look at the posture. Look at the humility. He fell to his face uh, with his face to the ground and he begged him. And I love what he says first. He says, Lord, this guy's already making a statement of his belief in who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just some neat rabbi who has a knack again for the spiritual, uh, supernatural. This is, he's calling him Lord. He's calling him Savior. He's calling him Emmanuel. He's calling him Messiah when he says Lord. He says, Lord, and then I love this. If you are willing, there's no entitlement here. Nobody else in his life that's passed by has ever been willing. In fact, it was against the law for people in first century Judea to show any kind of willingness to this group. The whole idea was simply separation to keep people quote unquote safe. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I know you can make me clean. I know you can heal me because I've heard about you and I've seen some of the things you've done. And now you're here. Listen to the heart of God because Jesus is the embodiment of God, right? If you've seen Jesus, you know what this unseen God we serve looks like. The book of Colossians in chapter one says Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. When you see Jesus, this is why spending a year in Luke and Acts is brilliant. Because we are through the person Jesus getting to know who this unseen God that we have dedicated our life to and put our full faith in and are believing for resurrection of life and believing for eternal life in his tangible felt presence. Jesus is the living word. He is what God is. And, and Jesus, here, here's what he does. He reaches out his hand and he does what? What was that love language my wife loves so much? Physical touch. What's the first thing he does? 
He touches the man. Now, it's interesting. We're going we're gonna to see about 10 different physical miraculous healings from Jesus as we go through Luke. And you're going to notice how different Jesus' MO is when he goes about healing people in the book of Luke. You're going to notice it because for every time Jesus would touch a person for whatever reason when he heals them, there's all kinds of times where Jesus never touches the person. He just gives a spoken word. But what is Jesus? He is the perfect embodiment of the full expression of love. He is our perfect example of what love looks like. He knows what this guy needs to feel healed. It's not just his spoken word. It's what? It's physical touch. This guy hasn't been touched. This girl, we don't know if it's a male or female. We think it's a a man. But this guy, let's just say he's been a leper now for a decade or two. Imagine not experiencing a physical touch, not experiencing true, authentic eye contact because you were the low of the low. People didn't even want to look at you. They would look the other way. Jesus is looking him right in the eye. He reaches down and he touches the man and he gives him, he gives him that physical touch we so need as humans. And then what's he say next? He says, I am willing. Do you know what this is? Words of affirmation. When Jesus says, I am willing, do you know what he by default is saying to that leper? Something he hadn't probably heard for decades. You are worthy. You are worth it. You qualify. I'm absolutely willing to put my ministry, my title rabbi, I'm willing to put all that on the line because rabbis, the minute they touch someone like this, would have to go through a week's worth of washing if you read Leviticus 13 and 14. They'd have to, deeply inconvenient and controversial for a rabbi to more or less get near a leper, but actually touch a leper. And Jesus is going, this is the heart of God. I will not only heal you with the spoken word, I will touch you. I'm proud to touch you. I am willing to heal you because you are worth it and you are worthy and you qualify. And listen to me, Forest City. He says the same thing to you today. When he saw Jesus, or excuse me, uh, then Jesus ordered him, excuse me, sorry, my dyslexia kicking in. He, he touched the man. He said, I am willing. And then he says, what? Be clean. Talk about an act of service. Talk about serving someone in the most beautiful way. He says, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus then ordered him, and we'll circle back and and, and talk about the implications of this in a few minutes. Jesus ordered him, hey, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, there's a pastor who ministers in the Elgin, Illinois area by the name of Steve Carter. You ever heard of him? Incredible pastor doing great things down in Elgin and all over the nation, really, right? You guys, of course you have. He preached here last week. I am a huge fanboy of Steve. He is the real deal. I love that man. And you guys, many of you know, some of you have read it. I read the book the minute it came out. He wrote a book a little over a year ago called The Thing Beneath the Thing, right? And so I want, in the spirit of Steve Carter, one of our co-lead pastors, I want to do this with the text. I'm going to do the same thing when I'm back with you next week because the same thing is happening in the next text we read next week. But I want a thing beneath the thing that we just read. Because you need to understand this for a city. I think I wrote it in my notes here. Whenever Jesus is performing a miracle of physical healing, he's always multitasking. 
physical, miraculous healing from Jesus. You will see it all throughout the thread of Luke when we get to the healing passages. He's always multitasking. He's always up to something greater than just the actual healing. He's always leveraging physical, miraculous healing because we are so captivated by it, right? It's such living proof of the authority and the power of God. So he's always leveraging physical healing, knowing we're still going to get old and die someday, even if he heals us, right? We forget that. He heals Lazarus. It's the coolest story ever. But then we forget that eventually Lazarus died again, right? And didn't get raised. You know what I'm saying? So there's always multi, there's, here's how Steve puts it. There's always a thing beneath the thing that is going on. And so I want to just spend the rest of my time answering and asking these questions. What's the thing going on beneath the thing here? And I can promise you this, the thing beneath the thing that Jesus is dealing with is an issue of loneliness. You don't, you don't read a simple, small four verse text like that. And and the theme is, oh, Jesus is willing. And I've heard so many incredible pastors preach on the willingness of Jesus. I'm not doing that today. That's an incredible message. But can we all concede that we, we think Jesus is willing no matter how slow he is right now or what his time frame is answering your prayer. You came here with some seed of faith that just says, I know Jesus is willing. So we're not going to go there today because there's a thing beneath the willingness. And it's this. It is not good that man should be what? Alone. You remember that in Genesis? Jesus creating, calling everything good. There's no sin yet. There's no mistakes yet. There's no more failures yet. There's no more catastrophes. Lament like we did so beautifully earlier wasn't necessary yet. Jesus is just creating. He's speaking and miraculous things are coming to fruition. And he keeps calling it good and good and good. And then he's done creating and he just wants to take some time to enjoy the spoils of his work. And so what's he do? He rests. And that's Genesis 1. And then we get to Genesis 2. And what's it say? It is not good that man should be alone. This is the first time in history God notices something in creation and goes, this isn't good. We still got a job to do. And so what's he do? He creates Eve. I've said this before and I'll I'll, I'll say it again. The last and final curse because of sin that is to go, the apostle Paul said, is what? Death. It's the last and final curse to go is death. But you know what the first curse is? Loneliness. And those two are the pillars of all other curses. You confront death, which guess what this leper was staring in the face. He had an impending death coming and it was coming rapidly because of this degenerative disease called leprosy. It was impending and it was inevitable. Nobody had to guess if he had very long to live or not. He didn't. What's Jesus dealing with? The curse of death. But the thing beneath the thing that Jesus so desperately wants restored back to his life, do you know what it is? Community. This, this sense of, yeah, yeah, death is the last curse, but guess what the first curse potentially was? To be alone. It is not good. You want to get God fired up? Then mess with people who feel lonely. Ignore people who feel lonely. You couldn't be more lonely than this leper. It's not good that man should be alone. So death is the final curse, but loneliness is the first curse. Think about this. Think about loneliness. When, when people go to prison, Right? Because we have a system of laws, which is good. We have a system of laws that people have to abide by and follow. But what's the power of prison? It's the ostracization. It's the marginalization that comes with it. It's the quarantine. 
You have a sentence of quarantine where you are going to be in a small, confined space. Your ability to have community, depending on the offense and the prison you're in, is going to be incredibly limited. Your ability to live free and full is going to be limited. Your ability to give and receive the five love languages is going to be impaired and it is going to be limited, is it not? And then in prison, think about this, we have a punishment within the punishment to keep prisoners accountable, right? It's this thing we all know. It's the worst possible thing that you can experience in prison. It's the ultimate punishment besides death, which is what? Solitary confinement. Think, I I said it, death is the final curse, but loneliness is the first curse. And when you are people like Jesus, when you are a disciple of Jesus and you say, I am going to ferociously war against both of those for the good of mankind, you are doing the work of God. The two worst things that can happen in prison is a death sentence and solitary confinement, death and loneliness. I get anxious just think. I was thinking about solitary confinement for this message and it just made me anxious. I'm a people person. I love being around people. I get energized by people. I can't imagine not only going from one small cell, but to a smaller cell in a place. And one of the things they don't give you hardly any of, if any at all, is light. You get no physical touch. There's no words of affirmation. There's no ability to receive anything good. You get just enough food to survive, not enough to thrive. There's no gift giving. All of these things that we were universally created for are are gone. I think about the woman at the well. Think about the woman at the well, right? What was her plague because of her decisions? Loneliness. We know the story, so I'll just cliff notes it real quick, but but she kept having to go to to draw water away from the community of women that would go in the morning to draw water. She would go at the worst time of day to draw water. Why? Because she had thought and been told that her lifestyle and her reputation and her mistakes disqualified her to be in community. And Jesus is having none of it, right? I'll go over it quick because we've preached this before. But it's important we understand this. They literally built roads around Samaria so that the Jews could walk around because they were at such civil unrest. There were massive walls of hostility built between the Jews and the Samaritans. So much so, they built roads so the Jews could walk around to avoid any strife and any war. And what's Jesus do when he's getting ready to go to Samaria? He starts to walk through it and the disciples are like, you can't do that. And Jesus goes, I have to do this. I have to do this. Why? Because I'm going to break down the walls because this woman that I'm going to go meet, she's going to think by accident, the woman that I'm going to go meet and have a conversation with is desperately alone. And I want to heal her. So he meets her there and he speaks life into her and healing works into her. And all of a sudden, what she do proudly, it says she goes back and starts to testify to who? Community. Hey, community, come with me. I want, you to, I want you to go meet this man that's told me everything I've ever done wrong. I love what Beth Moore says, right? Only Jesus could tell a woman everything she's ever done wrong, and she wants to go tell all of her friends to come meet this guy, right? Only Jesus could be that good. So the thing that's going on beneath the thing, Jesus is so pleased to heal this leper, the psoriasis. Almost all leprosy came with other uh, autoimmune diseases like lupus. Some of you may struggle with lupus. Like you pretty much, we now know, they didn't know it then, but every leper would also have lupus, this horrible autoimmune disease. 
So Jesus was so happy to heal him. But I think, and I'm just, I can't prove this, but, but Jesus could have just healed him and walked away. But he says, hey, I need you to go to our legal system. And I need you to go to the temple and I need you to offer sacrifices. Why? Well, if you read, and I, I did the legwork for you so you wouldn't have to do this this morning, so just trust me, but you can read about it in Leviticus 13 and 14 again, all the cleansing rituals. There were three different sacrifices. Two of them involved the bloodshed of animals. And then the last one was a sacrifice Jesus is talking about here, which is the sacrifice of testimony. And you would go and you would give a sacrifice. You would give a dove, but it wouldn't be killed. And this would be the ultimate cleansing where the officials reinstated you back to what? Community. So Jesus isn't going, I just didn't heal you so you could get up and have a better life. Of course I want that for you. But you won't have, you can be healed from, you can have a six pack of abs and the most healthy body on earth. But if you do not have community, you will not be a healthy human being. So go and give that sacrifice to the temple. Let's work, not against the law, because I'm not here to abolish it. I'm here, I, in fact, I honor the law that I authored so much, I'm here to fulfill it. So technically, I can keep you from having to do any of that stuff because it took a week long to become cleansed. But I want you to go back because you deserve community. You deserve to not be alone. Now, I've said all of that to say this when it comes to the thing beneath the thing when we read this text. We are disciples of Jesus Christ, right? We are people who genuinely are doing our best and genuinely want to follow the ways of Christ. We want to follow Jesus in his work. The Bible says that no student is above their master. In other words, whatever Jesus did, we're going to be called in to do, even this hard work of reconciliation, restoring lonely people back to community, Helping being healers. So, so what I want you to think of today is this. This is super important. There is a word that is synonymous with disciple. And it's this, healer. Most of you probably don't think this way about yourselves when you hear the word disciple. You are a healer. We have all been given the gift and ministry of healing. Now, here's where I think it gets problematic. And I'm just speaking on my own testimony. I struggle theologically, and I have since the day I've known Christ, with this issue of physical healing. Some of you way, way more mature in your faith, stronger than me, but I have had struggles privately with the sovereignty of God when it comes to how he chooses and who he chooses to heal and when healings don't take place. You ever struggled with that? I know we're not supposed to admit it because we're just big faith-filled Christians, but Jesus is so comfortable and kind with our doubts. He just says, hey, keep bringing them to me. I'll keep revealing more to you. And, and for 20, 26, 27 years that I have known and followed Christ, it has been a struggle with me because I've prayed for so many people. And every now and then I see these beautiful isolated moments and testimonies where people got healed. And it's so exciting and it's so energizing. But for every time I've seen one of those stories, I've prayed for people and their healing didn't happen on this side of heaven. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so what I did, and I made this mistake for so many years as a pastor, and I regret this because it, it, it's not the heart of God, I avoided the subject altogether. 
I had no confidence around it. I, I didn't have any answers for it. And I, I, I believe the lie that all you guys want from preachers and pastors is answers. Well, that's crazy. I'm no better than you. I don't know more than many of you. I, I have maybe a few answers, but I don't have all the answers. And I clearly didn't have the answers when it came to why God heals some people and not other people. So I just dismissed it. And God, over time, because he's so gracious with our doubts, And the fact that, like Paul says, we only see but in a dim mirror right now. We only see a reflection. We don't see the full story. But God started giving me a revelation. And this is why I'm so excited about this morning, about what it truly means to be a healer. Because I'm like, Jesus, everywhere you went, you flawlessly, when you chose to, spoke a word or touched someone and they were healed. Nobody on earth is doing it. There's some beautiful healing ministries. And men and women of God all over the globe that where they go, healings follow. But nobody on planet earth has healed at the rate that Jesus healed people and as effortlessly as Jesus healed people. And I'm like, God, why is that? And the revelation God gave me, and I pray this gets into your spirit today because I want you walking out of here to see that we are all healers as disciples of Christ. The revelation God gave me is this. Jesus healed effortlessly and with just a word or with just a touch or with just a thought because he was the full embodiment of the spirit at work, the spirit of God at work in one person. Let me free you up. You are not. Jesus came and had the full embodiment of the fullness of the spirit of God in him being revealed to humanity to show us what God is like. Now, We know from our pastor, the Apostle Paul, here's what we are. We are not the full. Chad Brugman is, I I can tell you how many times I prayed for someone and they did not get healed the way Jesus would have. I am not the full embodiment of the Spirit of God. You know what I am, though? I'm part of a collective. I'm part of a collective. Remember when Jesus said we would do greater things than he would? Does that ever mess with you? It messed with me all the time because I literally, in my, I would preach it and get everyone excited and clapping going, yeah, we're going to do greater than Jesus. But in my intellectual mind, I'd be like, I don't do, I don't do a hundredth of what Jesus did. What was he saying when he said that? Are we just big failures in the body of Christ? Because I look at what Jesus did and I don't see anyone even coming close to comparing to that. But then God gives me this revelation. No, 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 no. You're a collective. Jesus was the embodiment. You're a collective of the spirit. There's two point however many billion people on planet earth that have the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead on planet earth. Do you understand this? Think of the greater things we can do than one man in one region who never traveled further than 300 miles outside of that region. Spoke to thousands of people, not millions of people. Think of what 2.3 when we all make our peace that we are all healers, but it all gets expressed differently. The same pastor, Paul, said we are one body, what? Many parts. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the heart, I don't need you. The heart can't say to the brain, I don't need you. The brain can't say to the big toe, I don't need you. I broke my big toe my senior year of high school playing football, and I had given zero thought or credence ever to my big toe until I lost it. And then all of a sudden I realized every step I take, every ounce of weight and pressure, every step I take ends with the big toe. I was sidelined. My heart was great. I was in great shape. Everything about me physically and mentally was ready to play football, but my big toe was out. 
So Paul's saying, listen, we can't say to each other, we don't need each other. And then Paul also in that same passage, as he's talking about spiritual gifts, he says, all of us have been given different gifts that heal. But he says this, Christ apportions them differently. So think about that. We all have been given different attributes of Jesus as a gift from the spirit to be healers in that particular area. I have very rarely prayed for people and seen instantaneous healing. I pray for people healing all the time. I'm never gonna quit. I believe it's for today. I believe it's the heart of Jesus. But I have friends and I have pastors and there's churches where healings in incredible rates are taking place all the time. There are people, Paul said, he starts to lift the spiritual gifts. There are people who have gifts of healing and the working of miracles. Some of you, that's you in here. We have the full expression in this room with this many people, I promise you, we have the full expression of the gifts of the spirit in this room. You understand that? So what I wanna do is look for, send people to and empower people that I notice have the gift of healing. You know what my gift is? Teaching. Some of you are like, not that great, but like, great or not, doing the best I can with what I got, right? I've been given by the Spirit. Paul says, this is just as important as the gift of miracles. Now, everyone would choose the gift of miracles. Who doesn't want to follow someone that could throw a nice miracle around, right? Versus someone who just gets up and gives a monologue. I follow the miracle worker all day. But just as, this is so important, you get this revelation today. Just as important is the gift of teaching as the gift of a worker of miracles and healing. Why? Because my words are healers. What got me so giddy this morning in my hotel room was I get to get up and use words to bring healing to people. I get to get up and use words to to, to promote and to bring glory to the healer himself, Jesus Christ. I, I can't tell you in 20 years of preaching the story after story after story I've got from different people Sermons hit different people, different weeks, every, every different way. But every week, a sermon I give with this gift of teaching, and it's a gift, so you don't get cocky. It's a gift. I did nothing to earn it or deserve it, but it's a gift, and I get to be a healer. Some of you have the gift of hospitality, right? This beautiful gift of hospitality. And it's so easy for that one to get thrown on the lower end of the list, especially compared to the miracle worker or the person with the gift of healing. But can I tell you, Jesus said, when you go to a prison, it's like me being there. Talk about hospitality. You're going to minister to the person who least deserves it, but most needs it. When you give a cup of cold water, when you feed that hungry person, when you're kind to the stranger, Jesus says in Matthew 25, it's as if I'm the person there doing it. You are a healer for a city. Every single person right now, whether you feel it or not, you have been given gifts of the spirit of God that lives in you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Your gift matters. You deserve to be a healer. Again, for me, I have a couple. It's kind of like the love languages. I've noticed most people have a dominant gift from the spirit. You can go into 1 Corinthians 13, 12, 13, and 14 and read about them on your own time this week. And then most people have a secondary. I have a secondary one. This one's a little more like mystical and weird and it doesn't happen as often, but God has used it mightily to bring healing to people in my life. One of the gifts Paul mentions is the, the word of knowledge. And this is just where God gives you a specific and prophetic word for someone 
that is just in your heart straight from God. This is a scary one. Way scarier than getting up and teaching now. It's like, I'm going to go say something to someone and it's going to be specific. And there's a good chance they're going to look at me and be like, bro, what are you talking about? That's never happened to me, you know? So, so I, I end with this. I was preaching this last weekend in Milwaukee. And it was a revival weekend where they brought me in. So I preached a message Saturday night. So in 24 hours, I preached five times, three different messages. I preached a message Saturday night. I preached three messages that was the same message back to back to back on the Sunday morning services. And then they did what they don't normally do. They had everyone come back for Sunday night and we were going to throw down. That's the revival time. Like there's no time limits. Don't give a guy like me no time limits. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You guys know, do not give Chad Brugman no time. But we were going to have no time limits. But the ultimate goal was not my teaching. My teaching was a setup for healing. The ultimate time was the time we were going to spend like old school. Some of you won't even know what I'm talking about. Where you all come down to the altar as a step of faith and desperation. And I got to give a message and that was the means to the greater end. That was the thing. There was a thing beneath the thing and it was, I'm here for people to be healed. And all the gifts of the spirit in this moment are gonna start taking place. And Jesus is gonna do his holistic healing. And we're praying and I get done preaching and I'm a sweaty mess and God's moving and people are at the altars and you're, I'm seeing people crying and I'm, I'm sitting in the front row and for just a minute, I just wanted to observe. It's like, I've done my job. God's doing the real work now. And I'm just observing. And I, I was scanning the crowd and my attention got caught to this one little black lady she was probably between 80 and 85. And I was just taken aback when I caught her because I'm sitting there going, what in the world is an 80 to 85-year-old woman so desperately needing from Jesus at that age? And the hunger she had. She was weeping. You could see her. I couldn't see her face, but I could see her shoulders. And she was just broken and she was weeping. And I just could not get my attention off her. I was being so humbled and so healed and ministered to by a woman whose face I hadn't even seen yet. And then she gets up. She slowly starts walking back to her chair. Just hot mess like we all are. Just Jesus tears. The best kind of tears, right? Because when you're praying Jesus tears, those tiny little drops of water are letting so much weight go, Right? That's why the psalmist said that Jesus bottles our tears. Someday you'll stand in heaven and it'll go, I know, I know that tear. I know that lament. Never went past me. So she goes back. She's sitting about five or six rows back. I'm right here. She's like five or six rows back here. And something in my heart gave me a word of knowledge, right? Gift of the spirit. Now, I don't usually, like I said, walk in the physical healing thing, but we're all healers. And he gave me a word of knowledge when I finally saw her face. Like I saw it. I saw a picture of her childhood. And I did the whole thing we all do because it's scary. God, I, yeah, I'm not doing that. I just am probably weird. That can't be right. Like if I'm wrong, how weird. I'm going to ruin her whole moment if I'm wrong because that's just creepy and weird. And it's just like, just obey the Holy Spirit. I've said it to you before, right? No one has your best interest in mind more than the Holy Spirit. So I just took the walk and I went back five, six, seven rows back right over here. And I noticed she had three generations of family members on that row with her. She was the matriarch. And I was a little bit trembling because I was nervous. I've been doing this for a while. You think I wouldn't have been, but I was. And I just went up to her and I said, ma'am, she's kind of shocked. Like, what's the preacher doing here? Am I in trouble? Right? Like I go, ma'am, could I give you a hug? She goes, absolutely. And I got the best like grandma hug. 
and it lasted minutes. It's turned me into a physical touch guy overnight. This stoic German's like, I want more hugs now. If I can get one from like that lady, she gives me the hug. We just hold it. And at some point when I felt like that hug had created enough trust, I just started to whisper in her ear some things about her being the little girl and what I think God wanted her to know about her childhood. And as, as I'm starting to say those words by faith, right? Because the word of knowledge is literally a part of the gift of spirit. She just starts shaking where you're kind of having to hold her up, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm holding her and healing is happening on such a profound level. Not just for her, for me. Then at one point, I look over at her family because they're like, I'm thinking her grandsons are gonna bounce on me if I even do her grandma wrong at all. And they're all weeping and worshiping. And I'm having the most incredible moment with God that fueled me for this weekend to come and say, we are all healers. There is no joy and no excitement you can get in this life by waking up every day and saying, God, would you let me be a healer today? Would you let the gifts, whatever gifts of the spirit that are in me, where there's fruit and favor coming off my life, would you let me go and heal some people today? Whether I can heal someone physically or not, it's not the point. That's above our pay grade. But you have something in you where you can be a healer to this world. I I went to my hotel room and I was so blessed by that moment. It made my whole trip to Milwaukee hugging that lady for several minutes. And I started thinking, God was speaking to my heart and I started thinking, she grew up in an era where we couldn't have done that. (laughs) Think about that. Think of how that was healing her. I didn't grow up in that era, so I don't feel the full, all I can do is read history. I don't feel the full weight of that, but she grew up where we couldn't have been in the same church together. We couldn't have drank from the same fountain together. We couldn't have rode on the bus in the same parts together, right? And now here's this, that my elder, right? This matriarch, this 80 something year old black lady letting a 40 something year old white boy hug her. And it was intimate, but not creepy. It was holy. It was a holy hug, right? And you know what's happening? I'm being healed. She, she had to have a moment where she said, I, I didn't necessarily see the day this would be possible. Like the dividing walls of hostility come down where Jesus is. And when Jesus touches that leopard, when Jesus touches that leper, he's saying, I'm breaking down a dividing wall of hostility because this hostility, this judgment on you has cost you community and cost you healing. This lack of community, this loneliness is exacerbating your physiological conditions. Those things, body, mind, and spirit all go together. Now I'm just talking crazy. I need, but I've, I've been given a revelation from God about this that I want you to know so bad. You, I'll, I'll shut up, Chad. Shut up and get these people out of here. I'm gonna get on my knees to say this. This is how excited I am about. And it was spurred on by this little black lady from Milwaukee that I met a week ago and I'll probably never see her again. So much healing in a hug. So much healing in just saying, spirit, Will you use me? I prayed so much for that revival weekend that God would use me. And I was like, as I teach God, would, would the aroma of Christ just come out? But then the most, the, the strongest aroma of Christ didn't come out when I taught that weekend. It was when I hugged a stranger. That's not a stranger anymore. We're family, right? Like her and I at some point in heaven, will have a really sweet conversation over some iced tea, some lemonade. 
I watched her whole family, three generations. God was healing them in that moment. Watching their grandma broken before them. No better teaching lesson they could have got. Those young boys that were her grandsons than seeing this woman run down to the altar, be one of the first ladies down there, walking the slowest, but praying the hardest, right? There was so much healing that took place. And God just said, when you go to Forest City this week, just remind people that there is very few things in life you will find more joy from than when you say, God, will you let me be a healer? And then don't box it in to what you think healing is. It's every act of love language we've been given to anyone at any time. Jesus says, you even give a cup of cold water in my name and for my glory. Blessings coming, curses falling. That's what we are, y'all. We're little microcosms of the curse breaker, Jesus. We come to break curses. So where there's death and sickness and where there's loneliness and lack of community, spirit lead me to those places. Spirit take me to those places. Spirit, let me be a minister of change and an agent of change. So if everyone will stand, I've more than said my piece. You guys, as always, have leaned in and been amazing. This is a hard one for me to wrap up, not because I don't think I've talked too much, but because I'm just so excited about this revelation that I want for us to get. Oh man, if we could be a church of healers where we get excited about it and pray for it and ask for it and look for it. Oh, the, the effect that this room, a room this size could have if we just say, make us all healers in our own way. And then you make your peace with how the spirit uses you. Be proud of it. If it's hospitality, you're a healer. If it's generosity, because you know how to turn a buck into 10 and you want to disperse it for the glory of God, be proud of it. It's just as important as the miracle worker. If you're the miracle worker, stay humble, sit down and be humble, but be proud of what you do. Let God work it through you. If you have words of knowledge, words of wisdom, all the other spiritual gifts, right? But you are a healer. You qualify as a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus, I pray that you would imprint this deeply on our hearts. I pray that people would walk out of here this week and this would be a week where we wake up saying, Jesus, help me be a healer. My workplace, in my home, with my friends, with my families, with my enemies. Help me to be a healer. Help me to be one of the people that by your spirit breaks down the dividing walls of hostility that still plague this globe because of sin. God, I wanna feel the beauty and glory of working in tandem with your spirit. Jesus, would you just help us? If, if you buy into this message today and you believe it and God's speaking in your heart, would you just ask him real quick to help you be a healer? You watch, it'll happen within hours for some of you. It'll present itself within days and before we meet again next week. Jesus, would you make us healers for your glory, your name, and your renown to go all throughout the earth? We pray this in the name of Jesus and all my friends said, I love you guys so much. I mean that. I'm going to be back with y'all next week. That's how much I love you. Rain or snow. Hey, very important on your way out. We're doing something very methodically on purpose. We're asking every one of you, follow us on your social media if you haven't. And we're reading one chapter a week, but we don't want to do it alone. We do it in community. So please find a couple friends, family members, whatever to read this with. Last but not least, if you need prayer of any kind, we will have a bunch of amazing people down here that will stay as long as you need to pray for you. Grace and peace to y'all. God bless.